0: Welcome to Living with COVID-19, brought to you by A.T. Stewart & Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Today we're going to be continuing a series called An Encouraging Word for Discouraging Times. This is a series that I preached several years ago out of 1 Peter. It was written for people who were going through difficult and hard times, much as what we're experiencing during this time of COVID-19. So I hope these messages will be an encouragement to you. Open your Bible. Let's listen to God's Word together. For your great love for us, that love that moved you to send the Lord Jesus to be that atoning sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing because you loved us come and take on humanity to suffer in our place to be our substitute may our hearts respond in love back to you for your great love toward us love that is unsearchable incomprehensible May our love reflect itself in our obedience to You as we obey Your Word. I ask now, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would minister Your Word to us, to the very deepest part of our being, the very point of our need, that we might be transformed by Your grace through Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Today we're continuing our study in First Peter, encouraging words for discouraging times. Now I think it's important that we take an overview to kind of remember where we are since we are studying this book and you may have missed a week or so along the way. So just to kind of give you, uh, bring you back up to speed, uh, as the TV series like to say, previously on and then they kind of bring you up to speed so previously at west uh, we have seen god's purpose for us as his people as you see in chapter 9 chapter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy people for god's own possession and why has god made us a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So our purpose as Christians is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now that's the purpose. Now what's the principle? How do we do that? Well, he tells us in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are to proclaim the excellencies of God primarily by our godly lifestyle. As we keep our behavior excellent in view of unbelievers, our living testimony speaks much louder than our verbal testimony. We must give the verbal testimony in the proper time, but if you're not living the Christian life, Your words are not going to have the power that they would have if you are first a living witness to the grace of God in front of your neighbors, in front of your co-workers, in front of your classmates. And so Peter is saying that our primary tool for witnessing the excellencies of God, for proclaiming His excellencies, will be our godly lifestyle. And then he gets very particular. He says, in particular... As you submit to godless authorities. As you submit to godless authorities, you will be proclaiming the excellencies of God in a greater way than perhaps any other way. And then he gives particulars. He talks about submission to godless government that we'll see today. He talks about submission to bad bosses. And then he gives the example of Christ and his submission that we saw last week. And then he ends up with submission to mean mates. Now last week we saw that Jesus is the key to enabling us to submit to ungodly authorities. Our Lord set the example. He was the one who was willing to submit to ungodly authorities in his own life. And we saw the degree that he went through in his sufferings last week. And so this week we're going to begin to look at the particulars as we look at submission to godless government. Now to take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you have your bulletin, I encourage you to open it up and there's a place for you to take notes. as an outline there. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. Stand, if you will, as I read, in respect for the Word of God as we stand. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority, or to the governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, And the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. But use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. You may be seated. Submission to godless government. Now, you may be saying, but preacher, we don't live under a godless government, so this doesn't have anything to say to me. Well, this would be a good time in which you ought to reach down and pull up your socks. Because I'm going to share some things with you in a moment that may well blow your socks off. A report has come out this past week from the Department of Homeland Security. It was previously a report that was not made public. It was private. It was classified, but it has been unclassified, and it has come out, and this is the title of the report, Right-Wing Extremism, Current Economic and Political Climate Fueling Resurgence in Radicalization and Recruitment, April 7, 2009. Now, the next slide will show you the scope of this assessment. This product is one of the series of intelligence assessments published by the Extremism and Radicalization Branch to facilitate a greater understanding of the phenomenon of violent radicalization in the United States. This information is provided to federal, state, local, and tribal counterterrorism and law enforcement officials so they may effectively deter, prevent, preempt, or respond to terrorist attacks against the United States. So far, so good. I mean, we want our government to stop terrorist attacks, right? Of course we do. We want them to be aware of what's going on so they can stop these. Now, this report is particularly concentrating not on terror threats outside of our country, but the terror threats within our country. They're seeking to alert the law enforcement agencies, both federal and local, of the people they need to be on lookout for, the kind of people they need to watch out for that need to be people of interest. Now, on page two of this report, there was this footnote. Right-wing extremism in the United States can be broadly divided into those groups, movements, and adherents that are primarily hate-oriented, based on hatred of particular religious, racial, or ethnic groups, and those who are mainly anti-government, rejecting federal authority in favor of state or local authorities, or rejecting government authority entirely. It may include groups and individuals that are dedicated to a single issue, such as opposition to abortion or immigration. They just included most of us in here, folks, who are opposed to abortion. As people, they need to be concerned about, they need to keep on their watch list. And not only that, but this assessment goes on to basically say, if you believe that the Second Amendment of the Constitution that allows citizens to bear arms... If you believe in this, and you answer yes to that, then you may be considered someone who is stockpiling ammunition and firearms. Do you believe illegal immigration laws should be enforced? If you say yes, then you may be one of those individuals that's dedicated to a single issue that they want to watch out for. If you believe abortion is wrong then again, you may be one of those individuals dedicated to single issues. If you believe the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, which protects the rights of states and individuals, then you may be a part of that category that they say rejects federal authority in favor of state and local authority. If you disagree with the policies of President Obama then you could be an extremist because many right-wing extremists are antagonistic toward the new presidential administration and its perceived stance on a range of issues. If you believe in studying the topic of end times in the Bible, then you might be considered to be a member of that group that uses conspiracy theories and end-time prophecies to motivate Extremist individuals and groups. And these teachings also have been linked with the radicalization of domestic extremists. If you're a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan war, then you might be one of these disgruntled disillusioned or those suffering from the psychological effects of war. And therefore, you may be susceptible to recruitment by radical groups because of your skills. Now, if you answered yes to any of these questions then your federal government may be looking for you. You're certainly a person they need to look out for. Now, I thought I was at least in the middle, maybe a little bit to the right. But I have never considered myself a radical extremist because I believe abortion is wrong. Because I believe in the Second Amendment right to bear arms. Because I believe that the state should have more rights and the federal government should have less. But... We're living in a day, folks, where our government and the folks evidently that are making decisions in our government are less and less like you and I and believe less and less like we believe. We are becoming the extreme according to them. That's dangerous. And so when we talk about submission to godless government, oh yes, we need to listen. Cause our government is becoming more and more godless. And we're going to look at five questions and answer five questions this morning as we look at this subject. The first question is, what is the primary way we are to keep our behavior excellent in front of the unbelievers? The answer, we are to submit. We are to submit. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Now, this word submit is not a popular word in our rebellious age. Many people react to it. But I want you to know it is a popular word in the Bible. Forty times in the New Testament, this word submit is used. Six times, Peter uses it in this short letter. It is a godly word. It is important to God. He says it in chapter 2, verse 13. He says it also in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. He also says it again in chapter 3, verse 1, where he's addressing wives. In the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. He again says it over in verse 5 of chapter 3. For in this way, in former times, holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Again, in verse 22 of chapter 3. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected, and that's the word submissive, submitted to him. And then again in chapter 5, verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject, submissive to your elders. And so submission is not only a key word in the New Testament, it's a key word to Peter. Well, what does it mean? Well, submission is a military term. And it simply means to arrange under. It's the prefix hupo, which means under. And the word stasso, which means to arrange, to place. And it simply means to a place, to place under. Now there's no better understanding of submission than what we see in our military. Because there's a very clear order in the military. Everybody knows their place according to their rank. And everyone knows the ranks that are above them and the ranks that are below them. And so they know who has authority over them and to whom they are to submit. Now what it means is not that those who are privates are inferior to those who might be majors, but what it means is the one who is a private places his abilities, places his talents under the direction and leadership of the major that the whole army might be strengthened. So it has nothing to do With superiority or inferiority, it simply means to arrange yourself under someone's authority, someone's leadership, to place your abilities and talents under their leadership that the whole organization might be strengthened. And so we are told to submit. Now also this is in the imperative mood, meaning it is a mood of command. This is not a suggestion that God is making. God is saying, I command you to submit. Not an option. It's a command. And then it is also in the middle voice, which means the subject reflects the action back upon himself. That's why he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. In other words... You're not to be made to submit. You're not to submit under compulsion, but it is something that you are to willingly do. You are to willingly place yourself under proper authority for the Lord's sake. So it is something that we're called to voluntarily do. So as Christians, we're to voluntarily and willingly arrange ourselves under the authorities of the government. Notice a phrase he adds to it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Now what does he mean by that? Why is it for the Lord's sake? I think there are two things he has in mind. First, it's for the Lord's sake because all authority comes from God. Therefore, if you resist authority, you're resisting God. Because God is the one who placed those authorities there. Now that's what... Paul says over in Romans 13, when he writes, "...every person is to be in subjection," and that's that word submission, "...to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves." Paul says, if the authority is there, it's because God's placed it there. And if you resist that authority, you're resisting God. And you're bringing condemnation upon yourselves. Peter's saying the same thing. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Because you need to realize that authority is there because God has allowed that authority to be there. To resist it is to resist Him. Now, the second thing I think that Peter has in mind when he says, for the Lord's sake... It's because of Jesus' example on earth that we saw last week. He submitted himself to human authorities. Can you imagine? The The Lord of the universe, the King of kings, and Lord of lords, willingly submitting himself to mere human authorities. But Jesus did. You look in his life, you will see he submitted himself to his parents. He submitted himself to the rulers of his day. And so Peter is saying, look, at the example of Jesus, he has shown us what it means to submit to authorities. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Render unto God that which is God's. So as a loving imitation of our Lord Jesus, we are willingly to submit. Now, I want you to make note of this. Jot this down if you're taking notes. The motive... Of our submission is not our love for the government or for the leader, but it is our love for God. Your submission to your government, your submission to your president, is not because you love your president, but because you love your God. And it's God who has told you to submit. It's God who has allowed that man to be president, that man to be governor, that woman to be governor, and you are to submit because you love God. Now that's very important, to remember that and to make that distinction. So basically Peter saying, I command you by God to willingly place yourselves under the authority of the government because you love God. And did you realize last week when you sent in that income tax form 1040 and you send in a check with it that that should have been an expression of your love for God? You pay taxes because you love God, not because you love the government. You obey the speed limit because you love God, not because you're afraid of getting caught and having to pay a fine. You see, our submission to authority is to be because of our love for God. So the answer to the question, what is the primary way we can keep our behavior excellent among unbelievers, is to submit to authority. Second question, to whom are we to submit? And we've already covered this, but just to make it very clear, to whom are we to submit? Peter tells us, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to the king as one in authority or to governors sent by him. We are to submit, first of all, to the king as one in authority. Now, this was a big pill for those to swallow that Peter was writing to because you know who was king? Nero. And if there ever was a godless ruler, it was Nero. First, he was a homosexual. Secondly, he killed his own mother and many of his nobility. Thirdly, he persecuted Christians and used them as a scapegoat for burning Rome. He tortured Christians horribly, even lit them and used them as torches. He was a maniacal madman. And yet. God says we are to willingly submit to a godless ruler like this? Yes. And then he says to the governors, those who are delegated authorities, those sent by him, the king. Now the purpose of this phrase is to show us that we're also to submit to lesser authorities, to those who have received delegated authority. At this point, I want to say that submission is absolute. Obedience is conditional. Submission is absolute. There's never a time that you should not have a submissive attitude toward your government and toward your government leaders. Never. Always. Submission is absolute. But obedience is Conditional. I'm not telling you that you should always obey your government leaders no matter what they say. That is not what God says. There will be times that you may have to be submissively disobedient. Does that sound like an oxymoron to you? Submissively disobedient? Well, you know, you can be submissively disobedient. And most of the time, we're rebelliously disobedient. And that's what you're not to be. Example, look at Peter himself now who wrote this letter. When Peter and the disciples were talking and preaching in Jerusalem about Jesus after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the religious authorities did not want them preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they threw Peter and John into jail and said, quit preaching about Jesus. Well, that night an angel came basically broke him out of jail and said keep preaching so the next day they were preaching and the religious leaders came to them and they, here we pick up our scripture passage in Acts chapter 5 the religious leaders saying we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us but Peter's and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Now, he was being submissively disobedient. He was not being rebellious in his disobedience. He was simply saying, Look, you know, you say what you need to say, but we've got to do what we've got to do, and we've got to obey God. Now, do what you want to do with us, but we've got to obey God. Same thing with Daniel. You remember in the Old Testament, Daniel, the law said, Don't pray. You got, if you prayed, you'd be thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel knew he had to obey God and pray because God had commanded him to pray. So he prayed. The king caught him. What did he do? Threw him in the lion's den. Daniel didn't go to the lion's den screaming and yelling and rebelling against the king. He said, okay, you know, I obeyed God, so the consequences, the lion's den, throw me in. See, that's a submissive attitude. Same thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember, the king said, you've got to bow down to this golden image of me. And they said, no, we can't do that. Uh, that That's against what God wants. He said, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace and you can be burned to a crisp. They said, you do with us what you must do. And if God wants to deliver us, he can. But even if he does not, we cannot bow down and worship this idol. Now, they were being submissive. They were not rebelling. They just said, we can't do it. Now, do what you want to with us, but we cannot obey you when it's against God's command. So we are to submit always, an attitude of submission, but we only obey if the command is not contrary to the Word of God. If we're commanded by an authority to do something that is contrary to the Word of God, then we must submissively disobey and not do it. That brings us to the third question. What results can we expect from our submission? Peter goes on to tell us in verse 15, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. First thing is, you'll be doing the will of God. When you submit to proper authority, you are doing the will of God. Now this word for the will of God is the word desire. It's the word wish. It kind of has an emotional attachment to it. Something you, you really want. You really desire. So it's God's desire. It's God's wish that we silence foolish men by doing what's right. Now, that doing what's right is one word in the Greek, and it uh, is the word agathos. We get the name agatha from it. And it basically means that which is good in its inner essence, that which is inwardly beautiful, that which is inwardly good, that which is pure good. So Peter's saying when you submit a godless government, that is pure good in God's sight. So that's the first thing you'll accomplish. You'll be obeying the will of God. Secondly, we will silence foolish men. See the word silence? It means to muzzle. In fact, Jesus used it when he, it's used of Jesus when he calmed the seas. Paul used it when he talks about not muzzling the ox while he's threshing the grain. So here we have a word picture. The word picture is these foolish men, these slanderers that we saw in verse 12, are like wild dogs growling and nipping and biting at these Christians with their slanderous words. Yet as these Christians submit to ungodly authority, they're putting a muzzle on the mouth of these slanderers. They're silencing them, muzzling them. And so the result is we are doing the will of God and we are putting a muzzle on these slanderers. So what's he saying? He's saying because of your love for the Lord, place yourself under the authority of the government in entire submissiveness. And in so doing, you will please God who will use your submission to muzzle the ignorant and foolish men who slander you. So that's what the results you can expect to be. All right, what warning does Peter give us? He gives us a warning in verse 16 Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Now, why the warning? Why does he need to say, Hey, guys, watch it? Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Well, he's been talking to these Christians, and what's he been telling them? Man, you're an alien here on earth, right? You're a stranger. Your real citizenship is in heaven. Well, the danger is when you realize your citizenship is in heaven, not on earth, that you might think you don't have to obey the laws of the land. Hey, my citizenship is in heaven. I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to obey the laws. I only have to obey God. And this covering is the idea of a cloak and dagger operation where you have a cloak that looks respectable, but you have the dagger underneath the cloak. And when they're not aware, you bring it out and, and use it to harm. So basically he's saying, look, Christians, just because your citizenship is in heaven and you're strangers and aliens on earth, don't use that as an excuse to not obey the proper authorities. Don't use that as an excuse not to fulfill your responsibilities. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm concerned about God's kingdom. Therefore, I'm not going to vote. I mean, that's too mundane. That's too earthly for me. I'm just concerned about the kingdom of God. My citizenship is in heaven. Peter says, don't be like that. Don't have any pretext or pretense for evil, but rather be bond slaves of God. In other words, we are free to serve God. We are to be at liberty to obey the Lord. You see, being free as a Christian is not to live as one wants to live, but it is to live as one ought to live. Your freedom in Christ does not give you the license to live any way you want. But what it does, it gives you the freedom to live as you ought. As a bond slave of God. And that brings us to the final question. What will submissiveness look like in our daily life? Okay, we're submit to to godless government? Well, what is, what is it going to look like, preacher? How can I practically see what this looks like? Four commands. First, honor all men. Now, the word honor means to treasure. It means to value highly. Now, the verb tense carries the idea of this being a perpetual state of affairs. Let your state of mind be to treasure all people. We are to treat everyone as a person of worth. Whether they are homeless or whether they are billionaire, you should treat them as a person of worth. They are made in the image of God. In Peter's day, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, and these slaves were considered non-persons. They had no rights. They were like property. Peter says, as Christians, we treat everyone as a person of honor, as a person of respect. Now, you may not respect how they act, and if they're sinning, we should not respect how they act, but we must respect them. They're not to be treated with disrespect or to be treated with dishonor. So honor all men. Treat everybody with respect. Value them as people. Secondly, love the brotherhood. This tense means something that keeps on going. Keep on loving the brotherhood. And that love is the agape love, that self-giving love. Now, you see the word brotherhood? Literally in the Greek, that word means out of the same womb. He's talking about the Christian brotherhood. Now, we're to honor all people, but we are to particularly love fellow believers. Christians are a family And we are to love each other. Paul talks about this over in Galatians chapter 6. Look at what he says. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Peter's already said fervently love one another. A few verses earlier, remember? Fervently stretched out. Give it everything you got. Love one another. Jesus said it would be through our love for one another that people would know we were His disciples. John 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So we are to love the brotherhood. Thirdly, fear God. Have that reverence, that respect for God that makes you aware that He is with you and He sees everything you do and you desire to walk in obedience to Him. Because he is continually with you. Fear God. Sense his awesomeness. Have a deep respect for God. And then honor the king. Remember, Nero was king when Peter wrote this. Honor the king. Well, how do we honor the king? I want to give you four things. How do we honor the king? How do we honor our governor? How do we honor our president? First, we pray for them. First Timothy says, first of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all those who are in authority. So that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Pray for your leaders. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you like what they do or not. In fact, the ones we don't like what they do need our prayers more. Pray that God would open their eyes to see spiritual truth. Pray that God would do a mighty work of grace in their lives. Pray that they would submit their minds to the authority of scripture. Pray that they would come under the obedience of the Lordship of Christ. Pray that for. Them, that they'll have a life transforming, mighty encounter with the living God. Secondly, to honor means we are not disrespectful. Now, this is difficult sometimes. I got to admit I had an awful time with this one when it came to Bill Clinton me, he was the most immoral, and I can say it now because he's not president. But he was the most immoral. While he was president, I didn't say those things out loud because I didn't want to be disrespectful. So we don't want to be disrespectful. We don't want to have name calling. That means I can't say the president is an idiot. Even if I believed it, I shouldn't say it. No name calling. That's being disrespectful. If you want to look at it, what would you not want your children to do toward you? Well, you wouldn't want them calling you names, so you understand what disrespect is. Secondly, speak the truth in love. Now, because we honor them doesn't mean we are mute when they are doing things contrary to the Word of God. In fact, I think to honor them means we must speak up, but we speak the truth in love. That's the key. What you're doing is wrong, what he's doing is wrong, it's against the word of God, but speak it in love, not in hate. Secondly, oh, excuse me, fourthly, desire what is best for them and for the country. Desire that they succeed in what is best for the country and that which is God honoring Now, if they're wanting to do something that is not God-honoring, that is not best for the country, then you pray, God, don't let it succeed. But don't want the person to be a failure just because you don't like them. We want our president to succeed in those matters which will help our country and which will bring honor to God. So we're called on as Christians to live our life before the world so that they see a difference. The main way they'll see a difference is when they see you and me submitting ourselves to ungodly authorities. To authorities we may not agree with. But when they see an attitude of submission, and we submit because we love God, not because we love the leader or the, or the government, then this will proclaim the excellencies of God. And we'll be doing the will of God, and we will muzzle their slanderous words against us. They won't be able to find something that they can put on you and make it stick. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, enable us to submit as you submitted, even to those leaders and authorities that we don't agree with. May we do so because we love you and because it honors you and it glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. If you need to come and pray, I want to encourage you to do so. Maybe you've not been respectful and honoring of authorities in your life, government authorities. You need to confess that before God. Maybe you need to come talk to me about your spiritual condition. Never come to that place that you surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Would you step out? I'd love to talk to you.